Today is August 20th, 2020, and this is Sam Walking in the World, episode 13. All right, um, I have a whole bunch of small things to talk about, but it'll probably take up the same amount of time as it usually does when I talk about a few things, but talk for a longer period of time. Anyway, first, before I even get into what's on today's episode, I want to ask those of you who listened to episode 12, if you remember the two things that you put on the fence with me. Last episode. Chain link fence, middle of a grassy field. It's probably gone out of your head, and now I'm asking you to call it back, and I bet you remember the two things that were on the fence. Uh, those of you who haven't watched, haven't listened to episode 12, well, uh, I won't tell you what they are. You can listen to episode 12 and then try it for yourself. Okay, moving on. Today's episode. Um, as always, I have some stupid stuff. <clears throat> Mainly, um, political season is here, so our televisions are going to be overrun with commercials that, if you're like me, then you hate. Um, I have some language stuff. I looked up the origin of a quote about success and failure, and the origin turned out to be surprising. I'll share that with you. I have some OCD checks, um, in particular hand towels and shoelaces. You'll know what I mean when I get to that. And then in larger things today, I'm going to talk about the benefits of being on a team. What the, the benefits that being on a team have for the individual on the team. I've been on many teams. Um, and also the difficult task of leading a team, being the one in charge of the group goal, trying to get everyone to do their part toward achieving that goal. It is not an easy thing. Um, the good people that are good at it make it look easy from the outside when you're one of the team members, but... I've been in both positions, <clears throat> and um, it is not an easy task to coach a team or to be a boss in some other capacity over a group of people with authority. Okay, so, um, okay, let me get right to this. Political commercials. Oh, my God. Uh, they make me want to shoot myself. They're so bad. They're so bad. I wonder who they work on. Like, who... who uh, they're so ridiculous that I would think either you already agree with them going in and so you forgive how ridiculous they are because it, it's kind of on your side or you're as put off by them as I am, in which case you almost want to vote against whoever the commercial is for. Like, oh, they're so bad. They exaggerate so much. And they have the, the, the production of them is always like, with that, that apocalyptic voice when they're trying to, to, to characterize somebody in a negative way. They're like, Councilwoman Karina Benevento says she cares about animals, but she doesn't even own a pet. Challenger Dennis Melvin owns two dogs and has consistently taken care of both of them. This November, elect Melvin for town council. Unlike Benevento, he doesn't hate puppies. Some of the details of this advertisement have not been fact-checked, and those that haven't been found to be false. I'm Dennis Melvin, and I approve this ad. Dennis Melvin, I hope you don't get elected. I don't care how much you like puppies. And that, and that stupid thing got me thinking about um, politics in general, and 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 the particularly the disconnect that exists between politics and real life. Like, it is amazing to me. I know now why people say don't ever talk about politics or religion with your friends. 
well, maybe with your friends because you kind of probably already know their politics. But, but in general, why politics are nuts is not a topic that's good to talk about, because I think, I think for most people, it may even be true for me, and I don't know it, but there's always this giant disconnect between the way you live your life, the actual values that you believe in and follow in your own personal life with your family at your job um how you treat people um like for example for example personal responsibility is a value i bet all people share you know you're supposed to if you if you're hired to do a job you're supposed to do your best at the job um you're not supposed to steal um you're supposed to be honest um but then, and you go about doing these things in your daily life, and you see the others around you doing those things too, and you feel like you have a whole bunch in common with them, and you actually do. Like when it comes to living your lives, most people, I think, live their lives in a pretty common way. But you, you would never be able to predict how opposite somebody's supposed political beliefs are compared to yours. Or in particular, like when when campaign season comes around, when election season comes around, especially for president, the further away from your daily life the election is, the more you can completely not predict what somebody is going to think um, and how diametrically opposed they may be to you on on whether or not they think this candidate is a good person or that candidate is a good person or this one did a good job or that one did a good job. And I think I figured out why. I think I think politics are so vague, especially when it comes to cause and effect. Like politicians are always blaming each other for things and or taking credit for things that there's really no obvious distinction about who should get credit for what or who should be blamed for what. Like the economy, for example. I feel like every single new president if the economy is bad, they blame it on the the president that was in office before them. And whenever the economy is good during a presidency, the previous president will claim that they set the table for the economy to be that way. And it's just too hard to pin down who really did what because these, these topics are so vague. And I think that's why they say the, the most... The, the most real politics are local. Like, you know whether or not the potholes got filled in. So you know whether or not this town supervisor is, is the kind of person who does what they say they're going to do. But there's just so many mechanisms and moving pieces in national politics that that we could be living next door to each other, live exactly the same way, agree about the particulars of every single thing in our lives. But vote for the opposite political party in every single presidential election. And that's why, because I think that cause and effect is so malleable. Um, I'll get to more of that later on. Um, this political season has just begun. Uh, okay, in OCD checks, um, I noticed, being that I spent so much time in bathrooms, um, if you've listened to me previously, you'll know that's true. Um I um, notice that people are very particular about their hand towels. As horribly OCD as I have been in my life, 
I have to say that hand towels have never been one of my preoccupations. Um, I don't really even remember buying hand towels myself. I might have just like stolen them from my mom's extra supply and put them in my apartments over the years. And then I, I think when I got married and we moved into our house together, um, my wife might have bought some. But my wife is not very particular about them either. But I noticed that some people are. And I will admit that I have this sort of OCD habit. Um, first, let me kind of give you a little bit, bit of background. In my laundry room, which is where I usually shave and, you know, um, obviously do the laundry, um, I have like a, a clothesline that kind of runs the length of the room from one side to the other. And I kind of flip my towels over that, um, like my, my, my hand towels that I use for shaving and even like, you know, like a bath towel that I'll use, like if I wash my face or something in the sink basin that's there. And, um, and I, I do I do notice the temptation when I flip a towel over to line it up. And in particular, I like to make sure that the back of the towel that's hanging over the back side of the clothesline is hanging just as far as the towel hanging on the front side of the clothesline. I don't know why it matters. I think maybe there's like this this OCD part of my brain that thinks that it's gonna fall. Like if the back side is the hanging down further, the the balance will be off, and over time, it's going to somehow slide up, but it never does, and I know that it never will. And um, so I, I made a point today of purposely throwing it over the clothesline and then not caring how it was as I walked away. And it wasn't easy, believe me. I'll just go back and fix it. I'll just go back and fix it. And I thought to myself, nope, there's a larger thing in play here. I'm going to walk away from this towel. And I did, but I can't say that I'm not still thinking about it. Um, on that note, also, I the for most of the summer, um, which it seemed like a very long summer because of COVID, um, we, we got pulled out of school in like April, March, April, and we've kind of, it's kind of felt like summertime this whole time. So people are talking about how winter is coming back around and you know, fall's coming, winter's coming. Oh, now we got to get ready for another winter again. But to me, it feels like this has been, like, the longest summer I can remember. And I'm happy now, too. So I also don't really feel that bad about winter coming. I know that there's going to be an end to it when it ends, and then there'll be another one of these summers. And um, that used to really be a source of my dread was winter coming. And our winters are long and, and arguably dreadful. But... Um, I just never, I never got to enjoy a fall all the way, partly because I severely disliked a particular teaching job that I had, and going back to school always reminded me of that, so I never got to fully kind of in an unfettered way enjoy my falls, but anyway, now that I am able to, and this summer is kind of, uh, the why am I telling you all this? Because for the last three or four months, I've been wearing nothing but sandals or slide-ons. And um, I just kind of got used to that being all that I wear. Now, for at least the time being, I'm doing more bike riding as well as swimming. And for that, I have to put on sneakers. And so I've been noticing something different about myself that uh, is a definite change um, and I, and I think, I don't know if this is a cause of my happiness 
or as, uh, as much as a symptom of my happiness. I think it's a symptom. And it also relates to OCD. And that is, I used to always double knot my sneaker laces. I mean, not like super hard or anything, but I would always like make my bow and then I would take the bows of the bow and make another knot. I have no idea why. Now, when I was competing, when I was running marathons, I did it because you just, it was, it was untenable to continue stopping to, to retire shoes, especially if time mattered to you. Um, and it did when I was running competitively, but even long after I would, I would continue to double down my shoes. Like, like God forbid they ever come undone. Oh no, that can never happen. I can never allow it. This must sound nuts, but I don't know. Maybe there are some of you out there like this. But lately, recently, as I've kind of gone, made the shift back for wearing my sneakers, I realize I'm just kind of putting them on, tying them once, and leaving them. And I'm thinking, worst case scenario, worst case scenario, they get untied. I'll just tie them back up. It, it strikes me as crazy that that never that that never occurred to me as the obvious thing to always do throughout my history. But believe it or not, it wasn't, and it actually weighed on my mind. Even if like one sneaker was tied a little bit tighter than the other one, I would have to balance the tightness of the sneakers. That's how bad it was. So anyway, without that weighing on my mind, um, life is a lot happier. Okay, moving on to language things. Um, I I thought of this because I was um, thinking about the larger thing that I'm going to talk about today, which is coaching and um, and being a member of a team. And the quote I remember was, um, was uh, success has many parents, but failure is an orphan. Success has many parents, but failure is an orphan. Meaning, when something is done successfully, everybody wants to take credit for it. It sounds a little bit like politics too, right? Um, but when something is a failure, nobody claims to have been the creator of it. And it was actually made popular by President John F. Kennedy in the 60s. And he said it like this, victory has a hundred fathers and defeat is an orphan. But, and I thought that maybe was where it began, but it didn't. It began, originally it was coined by an Italian diplomat, Count Cagliazzo Ciano. Born 1903, died 1944. And he was the son-in-law of Benito Mussolini. So Mussolini's son-in-law is the one that originally came up with that success as many parents, but failure is an orphan. In case it ever comes up in conversation again. You can be the smartest guy in the room. But it is very true. It is very true. When something goes well, everyone wants credit for it. And not, not everybody, but most people. And then when something goes wrong, everyone wants to disclaim it as their own. As though they had something to do with it. And people just cannot stomach being part of something that failed. Um, so I will get to that um, and more right after I take this quick break. Mm -hmm. 
That message was brought to you by a cow, or maybe a goat doing an impression of a cow. He does such good impressions, I can't really even tell anymore. But welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 13. Hello, and welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 13. I have to make a quick apology. Um, it's not necessarily to you, but it is to the guy who lives in the apartments behind me, down through the little woods that I have there. Um, as I was doing the first segment of the episode, I well, you might have noticed that there was a dog barking in the background. I am I'm sorry that that occurred, if it distracted you in any way, but... Um, I heard it and I thought to myself, man, I wish that guy would just shut his dog up. Like somehow he knew I was doing a podcast. And I remember thinking to myself, I would not let my dog just bark incessantly like that. And I looked over to the couch where I believed she was laying there and, uh, it turned out she wasn't there. And then when I stuck my head out, I noticed that my dog was standing in the back. And it was my dog that was barking. So I was wrong. And I will readily admit that. So even though he doesn't know it, I apologize to my neighbor. In fact, I don't even know what his dog looks like. I just know that the, the, the dog barks exactly like my dog. I have to imagine the dog is about the same size as my dog. Um, but, I mean, it is the spitting image of sound of my dog. So... Anyway, that's neither here nor there, but um, I'm going to have to check myself next time. I presume it's someone else's fault, or really it's my own dog won't shut her mouth. But anyway, moving on. Um, I wanted to um, give you a happiness hint. This is one that I follow myself. And I don't know why it's true, but it just seems to be. And that is this. Whatever I focus on grows. In my mind, whatever it is I focus on grows. I heard once say, somebody say that once, and I wasn't sure what it meant or why it was necessarily true, but I'm discovering for myself that it is true. If I'm thinking about something that bothers me, the size of the thing that bothers me ends up bigger and bigger and bigger. If I focus on something positive, that thing seems to grow. Now, I don't know if we can choose to put our mind on something or if it just goes where it's going to go. And once it's on something bad, it inflates that thing. Or once it's on something good, it inflates that thing. But it definitely seems to feel pretty true for me. And it's a pretty astounding thing, as I think about it, that I could have that much of an effect on my own thinking. I like to think that usually it's the things in my world that have an effect on me, and those are the reasons why I feel this way or that way. And that may be true. I mean, it may be the original direction that your mind goes in, but the fact that it it, it amplifies whatever it is, is is definitely true. So think about that next time you're dwelling on something positive or negative. See if it, um, See if it's true for you as well. Whatever I focus on grows. Okay, larger things. All right, I want to talk about being a member of a team and how beneficial it is for an individual or how, how beneficial it was for me. Um, I've been on many kinds of teams. 
been on faculties. I've been on hockey teams. Um, I've been in clubs. Um, I've been a member of many different kinds of groups. So I, I have a pretty good familiarity with what it feels like to be one among many with a common purpose. I also have experience um, being the person in charge of the group. Um, I coached, believe it or not, girls softball for a while and uh, competitively for a high school. And I got to feel what it was like to try and keep everybody together and, you know, as much on the same page as as you can because people are individuals and individuals have individual wants and desires and needs and and it is not an easy task to try and concentrate them on one goal because in a sense you have to get people to sacrifice whatever their individual desires are and that is not an easy thing either to give up your individual desires as a person or to or to get a group of people to each do that so that they can concentrate on a common purpose. Um, what got me thinking about this was um, a photo that I saw. I, I, I just happened to come across it the other day. I, I had taken a bunch of photos out of a photo album, believe it or not, because I needed more um, like page protectors, like the kind that go into a three ring binder to put things in. And I had in an old photo album a whole bunch of old, you know, what, five by ten photographs. And I, I meant to keep them, you know, that someday I would take them back out and look at them. But it happened to end up being on this particular day that I came across these photos. And one in particular caught my attention. It was a photo of the only year playing competitive sports where I was cut from the travel team, competitive team, select team. They're called different things in different sports, but the team where you try out and only some people make it and the other people have to play for like, you know, what we used to call house teams or just, you know, the group of people where it's, it's play for the sake of participation um, where, you know, you're guaranteed playing time. You play against the groups of people in all the neighboring towns of those people who have not also also have not been selected for their select team, travel team, whatever it's called. And this was one year, I think in all the time I remember playing hockey that I was, I was not selected for the travel team. And um, I remember our sponsor was this restaurant called Perkins. It was kind of like a, a ground round. Um, I want to say Ponderosa, but not, not exactly. But I don't even know to this day whether it was just a local restaurant or if it was like a franchise of some kind or national franchise or regional franchise or whatever. But it was it was called Perkins Restaurant, and they were our sponsor. They must have given a bunch of money to the organizers of this team. And, you know, we, we had uniforms made that said Perkins Restaurant. I remember our colors were green and yellow not unlike the NHL team at the time called the Minnesota North Stars. They were green uh, and yellow, and uh, they don't exist anymore. Um, they, I think they became the Dallas Stars, if I'm not mistaken. I always, I always find it funny how teams will keep their mascot name but change their city name, even if it doesn't make sense anymore, like the Los Angeles Lakers. 
anyway, um, so I got thinking about that picture. And well, first, let me say that I played on many, many hockey teams. Like every winter from the time I was probably five years old. And I played varsity hockey. I was actually the captain of my high school hockey team. And I ended up having um, several uh, individual accolades. Like I was very up high in the in the scoring list. And uh, I won trophies for all tournament team and the, and the whole nine yards. But this season, this one season where I was cut from the team, um, I think looking back, I have to say, is my best, my fondest um, personal hockey memory. I don't know if it's my my best sports memory overall, but it's definitely in the, it's definitely in the top five, and it is probably my greatest hockey memory. And it's just ironic that it happened in the year where I was cut from the travel team, and. I want to tell you a little story about why. Okay, first, um, uh, my brother was my coach. My older brother was five years older than me. So I was probably 15. My brother was had to be about 20 years old. And... Uh, he was my coach. He was just getting into coaching then. He has been a coach his whole life now. He's been a, a high school coach and a state championship coach, and he's, he's done a lot of things and many accomplishments coaching. Um, and I, I remember this must have must have back been back when people might have seen that he had a chance to become a great coach because he was a natural. Not to blow too much smoke up him, but. Um, he was a big reason why this was um, a season that I think I, I will always remember. So here's the way it worked out is normally a house team just plays local teams, very close teams. Look like you don't, you don't travel very far. It's not a travel team. Um, but this one particular season, we had the chance to play in a tournament that was a travel team tournament. So it was, it was like right on the border of Canada. I want to say it was in Ogdensburg. New York, or it might have been in North Franklin, just across the border to Canada. But anyway, for a 15-year-old at the time, it was a pretty long trip. It was like a pretty big deal while it was happening. And so in order to field our best team, being that we had all the people that were cut from the team, so we had all the people that, like, you know, weren't good that year. And um, we there was another house team, too. So there, there were two for, – for, for the compared to the group of team of kids who made the team, the travel team, there were twice as big a group of kids who didn't. So there were two, what we called house teams. And we kind of had like just, a, I don't even know if we had tryouts. We had just kind of open invitations to see who was interested in going to play in the hockey tournament to represent Camillus, which is the town we were from. And uh, so we eventually put together a team somewhere on my house team, somewhere on the other house team. And I got to know them during this process. But, um, so my brother was coached, like I told you, and because we were not a very high priority, um, we got ice whenever we could get ice. We didn't really get preferential treatment in terms of time. And in this particular case, we didn't get any, like we literally had no, um, I think it might've been a holiday tournament. So 
there were all these other things going on at the rink, and I, I don't even think we had one on the ice practice. But my brother managed to finagle a, a Catholic school gym, um, and we all got together, and, and we put our equipment on, and we put on sneakers, and he got a whole bunch of tennis balls, and we basically had a floor hockey practice in, in preparation for an ice hockey tournament. And um, I guess I just remember I remember bonding with the other guys on this team in a way that I, I don't think I've ever bonded, even all the way up through high school hockey. And I don't really, I can't exactly put my finger on why. I want to say part of the reason was that we were definite underdogs um, in, in this tournament because, of course, it was all teams that were selected from the best groups in their area, and and we were not. Um, I believe I should have made the travel team that year, just for the record, but, I mean, who am I to say? I mean, believe it or not, there's even politics and youth hockey. My brother knows that all too well now. But... Um, I think it was because we were like, it's almost like you would read on a movie poster of like, you know, like a, a children's movie, like, like Mighty Ducks or something. But it was like, we were this ragtag group of people. Um, we had a lot of kids that didn't have a lot of money. You know, their parents were just blue collar people. So we didn't have anything fancy. Our, our, our practice socks had holes in them. Um, and, uh, we just I, I remember coming together as a group in a way that I don't think I have, like I said, in any other year playing hockey. And so anyway, we're running around this gym in the winter and sweating, like dripping sweat, with our helmets on. We're running stairs. And and my brother had a way of making it like like we were our own little nineteen eighty Olympic hockey team and we were getting ready to play the Russians. Um and I might be romanticizing it as I look back, but I don't really think I am. I think it just seemed that major to me at the time because it, it was such a major thing in my life at the time. And it was kind of our way of showing everybody else that we were just as good as they were. So we were kind of underdogs, and we kind of had a chip on our shoulder. And we had some, we had some wackos on our team. Like, I, 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 remember, them, I remember them so vividly. I remember we had one guy who checked people on one knee. Like he would go flying. He was really fast, and he was strongly built, and and he he would go flying up to guys in the corner, and then for some reason I don't know he had this urge to like slide down on one knee, and he would hit him right in the middle of their body. I mean, just like if you could pinpoint the center of a person's mass, that's where he would hit them, and it was like Charlie Brown with all of his parts flying off every time he hit somebody really solidly, and our whole bench would go crazy. Uh, we had one guy who had a wicked slap shot but never had any idea where it was going to go. And um, the genius coach my brother was at the time, he would just <laughs> early in the game, he would say, as soon as you can, tee up a shot. I want you to just aim it at, at the goalie. And I think he kind of knew that it, his, his shot kind of had this rising action to it. And he more often than not would hit goalies in the head, in the mask, which was legal. I mean, they're the goalie. They stand in front of the net. They got a mask on. But it would just literally scare the crap out of the goalie for the rest of that game. And so it benefited us because we had goalies that were kind of flinching their shoulders whenever shots were being taken. And it made it really easy to get rebounds. And I think it really did end up playing to our advantage and we got goals out of it. Um, 
my brother, if nothing else, my brother wanted, I couldn't tell if my brother wanted to win badly or didn't want to lose badly. Um, probably a little bit of both, but I really think it was that he just hated losing. And so if there was any way to wring out any kind of advantage, psychological or otherwise, on the other team, my brother would figure out a way to do it. And I was just getting to know this about him at the time. I had always known, like, when we were little kids playing, that he would find a way to cheat or change the score or something. Um, made my life a living hell at the time. But in this particular case, it was working to my benefit. And so um, that essentially was the kind of the makeup of the team. And I think we probably practiced maybe two or three times in that gym. Maybe even been only once. I don't even know. But I remember we would get together for different different meetings we would just the whole group would get together and um like i said i might be romanticizing it in my head but it was just i felt like i knew these guys so well um we also would be going we would go to games a lot together so like we, we were all rank rats and so we'd be down at the rink watching other people's games or our brothers or sister or sisters <laughs> our brother now now you could say the sister because girls hockey is a pretty big deal but we were always seemed to be there and we always seemed to be together and and that ended up really causing us to gel so we get to this tournament and we um are predicted to finish last because we're the only team that isn't a travel team and i think it was two wins put you into the final and then in the final you know the final game was the championship game and Somehow we won our first game. To be honest, I don't even really remember it. Um, but I think we barely won. And then we got to our second game. And this was kind of like our, you know, we, we couldn't believe we won the first game. And when we got to the second game, it was like, wow, we really have a chance if we win this game to getting into the championship. And my brother had this way of pumping us up uh, in the locker room before the game where like he really made us feel like it was our super bowl and and uh i remember this in particular one about an hour or hour and a half before the game they were making announcements or i was making announcements over the pa system and they were making an announcement of which of our semifinal game that was about to come up and they the pa announcer because it was so far from where we lived um mispronounced the name of our town did it a couple times and our, our town is camillus new york and and the pa announcer kept calling it camillus and uh and i don't know if my brother had heard that and decided to work it into the pregame speech but by the time we were all sitting there and we had our helmets on our skates on we're ready to go we didn't do we didn't have warm-ups back then we weren't important enough we basically just went out shot around a little and then dropped the puck and he he told us to listen to our name when they announced our name because they didn't even know what our name was. And I don't know how that stuck with us. And I remember looking at each other. like It was like a movie. We were looking at each other in the locker and being like, they don't even know our name. Camelus. And my brother like, whirled this, he got us all whirled up into this dervish. And then he, and he said, and after this game, you make sure that they know who your name is and <laughs> as stupid as it sounds and we ended up winning the game it was it was uh, it was nip and tuck all the way through the game it was one to one then it was two to one then it was two to two 
and I uh, I had the privilege of scoring the game-winning goal. Um, I I guess I was one of the one of the more skilled players on the team. I could skate around people and I could shoot. And, um, but I just happened to get lucky. There was a loose puck and I skated straight to the front of the net and I deked the goalie and we won the game. And it like cemented us as a group. To this day, I could say, I'll leave them all anonymous right now, but I could say their names just off the tip of my tongue. Um, and looking at that picture made me think like, wow, a group of people that were all so different. Um, and I honestly think to this day, if, if, if I were to run into any of them, because we all kind of went our separate ways, I'm not even sure how many of them still live in this area, but if we ran into them again, I know that it would be the very first thing either of us would want to, would want to talk about. Um, and we lost the championship, by the way. <laughs> if it was a movie, we would have won the championship, but it didn't even matter. Like, it wasn't even, my memories of it aren't even bittersweet because we lost the championship. They're just sweet. Um, and so that is something I will always be thankful to my brother for being able to, to give me as an experience because it has stayed with me. And um, the reason I tell you that story is because being a coach is not easy. And, and I think one of the best growing experiences I had as a human being was to be on a team where I had to put the goal of the group ahead of my own personal goal. I don't even really know what my personal goal was. After we'd spent a certain amount of time together, I didn't even care. I wanted us to just put our best effort and have people remember who we were and how to say our names. <laughs> um, but during my time coaching after that into my adulthood, as I coached, I realized just how hard it is. And this, I think, is in particular why it is so difficult for good people, like caring, caring people to be the one in charge of a group of other people trying to get them to all accomplish their goal. And that is this. There will always be, no matter, no matter how small a group, as soon as a group gets large enough, you're going to have knuckleheads in the group. And you're going to have selfish people in the group. And it isn't their job to get everybody together. And in a lot of ways, they have the luxury of still caring about themselves. But the coach's job is to make sure that everybody ends up placing their personal desires aside and and trying to pursue a collective goal. And and I learned myself the hard way. I mean, I beat myself up when I was coaching because there was always like, I want to say like 30% of the people that you could not please. You know, even if you had 70%, which is a very high percentage of people that are all satisfied with the job you're doing as a coach, it's usually more like 60. And and there's almost almost just a little bit less than half of the people are never satisfied with what you're doing. And if you're a conscientious person, you have trouble just putting it on them. Ah, they're just selfish. You know, you really feel like there's something maybe you could do better or something you could, you know, you start second guessing yourself and then you start... You start doing certain players' favors because they're complaining more or certain players' favors because their parents are complaining more. And and there's just always a few people out there who think they could coach the team better, even though they probably can't. 
and maybe some that could, but if they could, then I, I'm, I, I believe they probably have already had some experience, experience coaching and understand that it is not an easy thing to do, which does make it a lot. Um, it makes you a much better member as an individual of a team once you've coached yourself because you understand just how difficult a position the coach is in. You literally have to deal with a portion of the people that you're in charge of disliking you. And you, you take it personally. You can't help but take it personally. And I know my brother does because he's a, because he is a good person as well as a good coach. And he's had to make difficult decisions that every decision, every single decision ends up hurting, not hurting, but, you know, being contrary to the wishes of two out of five people. And you have to decide what what's best for the group, even if it dismays some individuals, especially when those individuals kind of band together, become this peanut gallery of we know better than you. We're going to try and replace you and we're going to say terrible things about you behind your back and on social media. And it is, if it just, for those of you out there who have never actually been in charge of coaching a team, had to make the difficult decisions, who to take and who to cut, who to play and who to bench. Um, how to organize things in a way that's best for everybody, not just the few people who are the loudest. It really is hard. It is yeoman's work. I actually stopped coaching because of that. I just, I couldn't deal with it anymore. I started feeling like I was unappreciated. And hey, you know what? Best of luck, guys. Let, let somebody else coach the team. And that's kind of a, kind of a, a wussy way out of it. I, in some ways, I wish I had stuck to it and just kind of helped it mature me and make me understand that I had to block out what those people thought because... Someone's got to coach it. And um, so next time your child is involved in something and you have this inclination toward criticizing the coach, especially in front of your child, try not to do it. If there's something you want to talk about the coach, talk with the coach about, do it privately. And if the coach just shuts you down and says, I'm sorry, I can't. I can't have this conversation with you or else I feel like I have to have it with everyone. And then all of a sudden there's no coach now or we're, we're, you know, we're a democracy and we are not a democracy. And usually things end up working out best. Those people that are shooting their mouth off about how they could do a better job, in most cases they go around their other parts of their life shooting their mouth off as though they could do a better job than whoever is the person in charge of whatever part of their life they're in. And those people who do understand what it's like to be the boss of something usually kind of leave you alone. Um, and I have kind of become like that myself. My wife tends, or, or did, our kids are in college now, so it doesn't really matter. But when they were in high school, my wife tended to be, I mean, she was actually pretty good about it. But because she was so close to it, she had, you know, she always had concerns or opinions. and Not in a bad way. And, and she, she was never one to go and share them with the coach. She would always try and help the kid make, make the kid understand that that was just part of dealing with it. You don't always get your way. Things will work out, and they always did work out. But I just, I know there's a lot of people out there who just think they know better, 
and they make the coach. They're going to drive away the better coaches that they that, that there are out there. Coaches make mistakes just like other people make mistakes. But um, I just wanted to get that story out so I don't have to keep on thinking about it. I could just kind of put it away. So I just wanted to give a shout-out to my brother and say thanks. I really appreciate that experience. And with that, I have come to the end of this episode. Thank you for indulging my own personal story there. Um, I have a couple more serious things to talk about in the next few episodes, so I kind of wanted to get that out of the way. Um, And as always, I look forward to seeing you again soon, hopefully tomorrow. message was brought to you by a cow or maybe a goat doing an impression of a cow he does such good impressions i can't really even tell anymore but welcome back to sam walking in the world episode 13